I invite you to open up your Bibles to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. In connection with our sermon on the second commandment, we're going to look a little bit at this passage, Exodus chapter 32. Which is often known as, you know, the time, the, the making of the golden calf by the Israelites. Exodus 32, and we'll read uh, the whole chapter, all 35 verses. So this is after the Israelites have been led out of Egypt, as they're gathered at Mount Sinai, and Moses is, has gone up on the mountain. Exodus 32, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. 
And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let anyone who who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from one gate, from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion, and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Let's sing response to this from Psalm 106, stances 8, 9, and 10. So this afternoon we'll look at the Word of God as we confess it in Lord's Day 35 of the Hutterberg Catechism about the Second Commandment. This is on page 552 in your Book of Praise, and we'll read these three question and answers. First of all, in question 96, the Confessing Church asks, What does God require in the second commandment? And we answer, We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship Him in any other manner than He has commanded in His Word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. 
But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No. For we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 119, stanzas 40 and 43. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever failed at something? Have you ever gotten an F? You know, personally, I can't remember failing anything at, at school, but my first sermon as a student at classes, got an F. And now I have to preach every Sunday. It was a good lesson in both humility and perseverance. And I'd be quick to admit that even still today, I need to hear that lesson. In the Bible, there are a few places where God gives his people an F. And he doesn't try to put a good perspective on it either. He doesn't say, you know, good effort, but no, it is a simple F. Unacceptable in his sight. What does God give his people an F on? It might surprise you. Their worship. In his eyes, their worship of him is a fail. I wonder, do we think of that? Don't we tend to look at ourselves and all the religious things that we're doing and say, look at what we are doing. We're going to church regularly. I read my Bible. I I pray. It's not like I'm a complete unbeliever. It's not like I'm rejecting God altogether. But if you were to read the Word of God, it's scary the amount of times that God gives His people, people's worship an F. They might think it's fine, but God does not. In Isaiah 66, for instance, God says, He who sacrifices an ox to me, that's a pretty huge thing, isn't it? He who sacrifices an ox to me is like he who kills a man. If we were to put that in modern terms, we'd say, he who gives a million dollars to the church is like a murderer. And just a few verses later, God says through Isaiah, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain. It's really empty, hollow. The Lord Jesus Christ applied that verse to the Pharisees who were very busy, very busy serving God even, or so they thought. But Christ pronounced everything they did as an F. There's the account of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Do you remember them? Why did the earth swallow them and their families up? They were offering incense to God. But it meant their death. Two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, did something similar. 
They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, and fire came out and consumed them. There's that account there in Exodus 32 that we read of the golden calf. And God there is about to destroy his people. The people that he had just delivered out of Egypt and part of the Red Sea for? If Moses had not stood in the gap, all would be lost. And all because they made an image of a golden calf and had a feast for the Lord before it. We need a wake-up call. Clearly, the standards of God are different than ours. Clearly, we need to look at things not from our own perspective, but through the Word of God. Well, that's what the second commandment is all about. You know, the first commandment. The first commandment, of course, is about who or what we worship. But there we need to make it clear. It is the Lord we worship. The second commandment, though, we also need to hear this. The issue in our life is not just who we are worshiping, but also how we are worshiping. It's not just knowing the real God, but really worshiping the real God. I've summarized our confession under this theme. Christ frees us to serve the holy God in His ways, not our own. And we'll need to look at two things, as we need to with really all the commandments. First of all, our sinful nature, and secondly, our new nature. I think it's first of all good to place this second commandment in its historical context. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Because our first reaction to that is probably, uh, that's okay. No problem. I, I don't have any images in my house. I'm not using any images to serve God with. I, I can't even make any images. What we, first of all, need to do is look at the place of images in the ancient world, and still in places today as well. Why did ancient peoples have images? And why were the Israelites, for instance, here in Exodus 32, so tempted to have a golden calf? And then how are we similar to that, even if we do not specifically make or have images? Well, you need to realize that every pagan religion had its images. In ancient times, it was a given. It was assumed. If you were religious, you had an image. Images were ways in which you and I, supposedly, of this earth, could somehow be connected to the things of heaven. Baal, might be in heaven far removed from us, but it was believed if you made an image of Baal, if you prayed and did rituals before it, Baal would get connected to that image. Perhaps even a little bit of Baal's presence would come to live in that image. There were those who even thought that image of Baal did Baal a favor. It was a way that Baal 
could manifest His power in the lives of those who worshipped Him. Every religion around Israel had its images. In your own home, you would have had a little place, a little shrine filled with statues of, of pagan gods and goddesses, sometimes even just personal ones that guarded your own house. We've unearthed many of those in archaeological digs. Now, I think none of us have been tempted to make or have a carved image in that sense. It should be mentioned that there still are some today who do have a focus on statues and paintings and things like that. I just read recently in preparation for this sermon that you know, Mother Teresa performed a miracle a few years ago. Supposedly. You might know that Mother Teresa died in 1997. But years later, from heaven, supposedly Mother Teresa healed a woman's abdominal cancer when a locket with her picture was placed on the woman's stomach. Yeah, that still exists. That kind of thinking in places in this world. And that is not much different than what we have here in the second commandment with the golden calf too. But we also need to see this impulse to make images that led the Israelites to make the golden calf and still today leads people to think that certain things are holy and have special powers and properties It's very alive in well and well. And it is alive in us too. Even if we do not have or make physical images. You see, we too would love to have a God basically in our hands. Not just a God too that we could see and touch, but a God that we can control? You know, the golden calf may have actually been just a small bull on a pole, for instance. Something to cart around ahead of you like that. I mean, look at what Aaron says. Or the people say, up make us gods who shall go before us. Rather than a god on the mountain, they impatiently make an image because they want God to be in their hands. They want a God who serves them. And are we any different? Do we too not want, as sinners, a God who serves us Not a God whom we serve, but a God who serves us. A God on our terms. A God whose power is in our hands. In the second commandment, God confronts us with that foolishness. No images. That means, in 21st century terms, God will not just be another thing 
for you to use in your life. You cannot claim to know Him if you do not know His holiness. No images. Because God is not known on our terms, but rather on His terms. He is the one who has to define the relationship that we are to have with Him. People might say they believe in God, but yet they never come to to church. I, I worship by taking walks in the woods, they say. No, that's, that's an F. That's worship on your terms. God tells you that you need to love your enemies, to forgive the same brother 70 times 7. If you're someone who loves to hold grudges against the people around you, your worship of God is on your terms. It's an F. God tells you that you need to marry only a fellow believer. That believers and unbelievers don't mix no matter what they have in common. And if you're not following this, your worship of God is an F. God tells you that you must give of your first fruits, not the leftovers. God wants you to give cheerfully out of a full heart. Otherwise, it's an F no matter what you do. God calls you to live in daily repentance, to abide in His Word and His commands. Otherwise, your worship is an F. This is what the second commandment confronts us with. Are we trying to have God on our terms? Are we trying to think that we can know God without being godly? Do we readily, quickly do what He wants? Or are we trying to shape Him according to what we want? Do we accept that God has authority over us? Or do we live as if we are the authority, even over Him? Do we acknowledge the holiness of God in our lives? Is it very clear that God is like the sun and we are but the planets? Or are our lives more like we are the sun and everyone else, including God, is like the planets circling us? You know, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say outright, I serve God the way that I want. But is that the way that we are living? Is that the unspoken statement of our lives? Instead, we need to be in the Word. The Heidelberg Catechism here is right on the mark. You can see where our Heidelberg Catechism goes. It not only denounces images as contrary to the holiness of God, but then at the end, in question answer 98, right? It ends with, God wants His people to be taught by the living preaching of His Word. 
that is exactly the issue here. That instead of seeing, being a seeing people, we are a hearing people. And we are a hearing people, not only because we cannot see the true and holy God, but also because when we put a focus on our ears, you see, then we are also submitting to our God. Images are a way to try to have God on your terms. The Word means God on His terms. The Word, that is the only way to have and to know a real relationship with the Holy God. That takes us to our second point. When you read the book of Exodus, you will see that on either side of this incident with the golden calf, there's something else. Something that is God's answer, really, to the golden calf. Do you know what I'm thinking of? The tabernacle and the ark in it. The place where God would actually dwell with the Israelites. God did not intend to be aloof, not even in the wilderness. But God would draw near in His ways, not the ways of His people. If you read through the book of Exodus, it's somewhat surprising. First of all, there's six chapters about the tabernacle and all of its plans. Then there's this chapter, Exodus 32, the golden calf. But surprisingly, it continues... And in the chapters after this, the tabernacle is built. So you see the sin of the people of God. Here with the golden calf, the sin of the people of God specifically that shows they are incapable of knowing what a real relationship with God is all about. Yet, God's desire to dwell with His people, the tabernacle and the ark are all about that, that desire is triumphant. The tabernacle and the ark at its center, in so many ways, that is the answer, the opposite to what we have here in Exodus 32 with the golden calf. And it was opposite in all sorts of ways. The golden calf was something visible. It was probably hastily made and rather crude. The tabernacle, though, you can read about it later on in the book of Exodus, was clearly no rush job. It was a true labor of love. And it preserved then also a sense of the majesty and the holiness of the Lord. You can read in Exodus, there is extensive detail about the tabernacle. How meticulously it is built and decorated. As is fitting to the Lord. All the commandments of God about it are followed. It is proof that God will determine His worship and presence in this world. 
In fact, it ends in chapter 39. Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done as the Lord commanded. So he blessed them. They had done as the Lord commanded. Because that is at the heart of the second commandment. That is at the heart of true worship. And that's even more clear in the tabernacle's ultimate fulfillment. The great fulfillment of the tabernacle and of the second commandment is our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God. John says, He came and tabernacled among us. What is the way to know and worship the Holy God? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think back to why pagans made images. Pagans made images thinking that gods, the gods needed a way to connect to this world, to manifest their power. The true God has no need for our efforts. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see God Himself completely out of His own love and power enters our world in ways that boggle the mind, taking on our flesh and blood, being the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross. There might be that temptation, even still today, to have, you know, a locket of a saint with a picture of a saint in it. And to think that somehow then, God or the things of God are close to you. But look what we have before us on Good Friday. Look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly there, we see, we do not have a God who is distant, out of touch with this world. We have a God who is more in touch with our misery and accursedness than we often are. Still today, there are lots of attempts, even in churches, to connect with God. But from our side, things that are done in worship services, supposedly, now I'm closer to God, people say. Sometimes worship music is used like this. Sometimes even Bible translations. The King James Version, for instance. I've heard people speak of this too. This is holy language. When we use the King James, we're, we're closer to God, they say. Let us not go in that direction. Let us hold fast. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the one through whom we know and enjoy the presence and the power of the Holy God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I 
in the midst of them. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we sinners have a very real covenant with God. That's the antidote to images as well. To know and rejoice that God has covenanted with us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Nothing is more powerful than His blood in securing the blessing of our God. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that our lives are led in true worship. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clearly, read through the Gospels. He shows that He knows the holiness of God. God is never at His beck and call. He will not jump off the temple. Temple's heights at the devil's temptation. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. His passion is always to do nothing but the Father's will, not His own. Even if it means dying on a cross. And He pours out His Holy Spirit upon us. Among the tasks of the Spirit is also this. To transform our lives and our worship. So that our worship is no longer led by our own misguided thoughts and desires, so that we truly worship God in His ways. So that we're not just Pharisees, too, keeping you know, our own favorite rules, but so that our lives truly do begin to reflect the greatness of God. Finally, in conclusion, let's note this. This commandment also has a warning and a promise. In this commandment, God says too that He will punish the sins of the fathers upon the children. But showing love to, to a thousand generations of those who love Me and keep My commandments. That's precisely what we need to hear. Punishing the sins of the fathers upon the children. With regards to here, this second commandment. When you attempt to have God on your terms, do not be fooled. It may look to those around you that you are spiritual, that you can talk about God. God punishes the sins of the fathers upon the children. If you seek to serve God in your own way, your own children will feel those consequences. And so often they abandon God entirely. I can remember my minister when I was growing up having a sermon on this. The parents sin against the second commandment and the children sin against the first commandment. They abandon God entirely because the children see you're not really serving God. You're really serving yourself despite all your religious language. 
There is no such thing as serving God in your own way. And children see that. And children, like they so often do, will take it to the next level. When you attempt to serve God in your own way, when you ignore the holiness and majesty of God, generations are cast into darkness. But there is also a great promise. Those who truly love God, a thousand generations will be blessed. When you truly recognize God as God, when there is that wonderful fear of the Lord in your life, that is exactly the opposite, of course, of making images of gods, where you understand the majesty of God, when the Word of God is your delight, when you seek His Spirit always, so that your life is not conformed to your own ideas, but to the pattern of the Word and of the Lord Jesus Christ, that attitude of humble, holy faith blesses generations. True worship shows that there is truly a God unlike anything in this world. True worship underscores that this God is holy. How do we find that true worship? Again, it is only in Jesus Christ and in His Spirit. Put the Lord Jesus Christ ahead of you. His death. His resurrection. Seek His Spirit every day. Tremble and live by His Word. And you will not get an F. Your life will be filled with worship that begins by the grace of God to even please the holy God. And you will know what every pagan with their images tried vainly to secure. You will know also the presence of the Holy God. His love, His goodness, His power forever. Amen.